On this Wednesday evening, we take you till 6.30, brought to you by Casamigos Tequila, as always, brought to you by those who drink it. This would be the eve of the Masters. The Masters would be getting underway tomorrow. That's not the case. I was just discussing on Radio.com with Michael Breed. Uh, what are we talking about? The Masters being played in November this year. If it is played, then you know there is a golf schedule that will uh, play the U.S. Open in September. We'll play the... Uh, the Ryder Cup as as scheduled in late September, and then we'll play the Masters in um, November, November seventeenth to thirteenth uh, to seventeenth, I believe, um, is the plan. If that happens, we're a long way from that right now, as we sit here on this April eighth, not knowing exactly when anything opens up. Getting ready uh, on this uh, Holy Week and Passover. Uh, obviously, Friday's Good Friday, Sunday's Easter. We're in Passover uh, starting this evening. Uh, so uh, it's a crazy time. People can't even uh, congregate in churches and synagogues uh, o- over the next couple of days. Um, that's just the way it is. Um, we are still in the middle of uh, these numbers that are alarming. They're telling you that the curve is lessening, or we have, you know, we're reaching where the uh, we're plateauing. Maybe that's so. We have more deaths last night than any time in New York. More deaths last night any time in the country. More deaths in New Jersey. More deaths on Long Island. More deaths in New York City. More deaths across the country. So. Uh, the case, we have broken 400,000 cases nationally, 150,000 in, in, in the state of New York. Um, devastating, astronomical numbers. So, and it's funny. I don't know if it's comments that have been made the last couple of days in press conferences or the fact that the hospital visits may have at least slowed down. They're still coming, but they've slowed down a little bit. Uh, The market has reacted with optimism the last couple of days by uh, bouncing back. People seem to have a little bit of bounce in their step and a little bit of a smile on their face, and I have to honestly say I don't know why. I have not seen anything that gives me any any comfort that anything is progressing. I don't, I don't see how anything yet is coming back. I don't, I don't see how I don't see a plan. I don't get a feeling of uh, of certainty. I don't get an idea that, see to me until you can tell someone that they're not going to go out there and get sick and if they do get sick that they can be taken care of there's not going to be any feeling of certainty here. Now, you can take your chances on that, but go ahead. I mean, 
you might get through it. You probably will. You might not even know you get the virus. Or you may get the virus and it'll be gone in a couple of days. Or you might get the virus and you may survive it. Or you can be someone who, out of nowhere, just all of a sudden can't breathe and spins out of control. And then the next thing you know is they're gone. I mean, that that has happened already to a couple of people we know. And I just, there's no explanation for it. They weren't sick. All of a sudden they couldn't breathe. And next thing you know, you're hearing that they're gone. It's just crazy. And that has happened more than a couple of times. And it's happened a lot here on Long Island. Just heard about another case of that today. So, I mean, that kind of uncertainty is scary. And I mentioned this earlier. I heard Mark Cuban come on CNBC earlier. And they were asking him some investment questions, as you would expect on that show. But then they got it around the basketball, and they said, when do you feel you'll be comfortable with the NBA coming back? And he said, I personally will not be comfortable with the NBA coming back until I am comfortable that my team is safe. And that's a great answer. And it really is the only answer. Until he as an owner responsible for his team feels that his players are safe, that he can protect his players, that his players aren't going to go out there and, and get sick. That if one of them does get sick, there is a remedy to, and care that is good enough that you can count on it. See, we live in a world where normally we get sick. You call the you call the uh, ambulance and you go to the hospital and you feel very comfortable that if you hit the hospital, you're going to be fine. They're going to figure out what's wrong with you and they're going to make you better. Right now, you hit the hospital and you know what? Roll the dice. You don't know what's going to happen. All of a sudden, you can't breathe. All of a sudden, now they're giving you oxygen. All of a sudden, now they're telling you the oxygen's not working. So let's try a ventilator. When they put you on a ventilator, you might not get off. And we'd like to believe in one of these drugs. I mean, listen, we all would. We absolutely would. So they have to hustle and come up with some some answers. And listen, we'd all be thrilled to know that there was a therapeutic out there that works, that you know that there is something that you have a backstop that you have a something that is going to be able to handle it if you get sick that would be the best thing that could happen that would change everything that is a game changer but we don't have that drug yet nobody says we do you don't get any doctors to say that they have that drug that's for sure and that's what you need to hear it from you know in the end, this gets back to the scientists and the doctors because they're the ones with the answers here. Politicians have motivation. You know, they, they, they think in terms of 
who gets the blame. They think in terms of who gets the credit. They think in terms of November and elections. That's what they think in terms of. You have to understand that. And say it was wrong. Say it was right. doesn't matter. It's, it's reality. They are political people, and that's what they think in terms of. That's what Joe Biden's going to think in terms of. Now that Bernie's out of the race, he's going to think in terms of how this impacts his ability to win the White House. And President Trump's going to think of it in terms of how he can get around the carnage, get around the issues if they look bad, get credit if they look good, and then make a successful run. At re-election, that's what his job is. That's what he thinks he's got to do. I mean, that's that's what he's motivated by. But right now, he wears another hat, and that is he's got to be a leader and keep us safe. And right now, that's kind of tricky. We're in a tricky place when it comes to that right now. Especially here where we are in the middle of this. And, man, we have so many cases. It's crazy. They said today that the the hottest place in the United States for this today was Stony Brook. That was the absolute epicenter for the entire nation. Maybe that will change in a couple of days and it'll be somewhere else. Who knows? California, it looks like, has done a very, very good job with this. Now, maybe they are better suited to it than we are. Maybe the density of our city and how many people live close to each other, maybe the flights that came in um, to our city uh, from China, whatever it may be, the international flights that come into our city day after day after day. Um, maybe that made a difference. Who knows? I have no idea why we have so many cases. We just do. We just do. But I'll tell you this. I watch and I hear the the idea or the thought of some optimism. I watch and I see the market go up for a couple of days in a row and people starting to sound very positive about that. I just don't see any anything yet, or I haven't seen anything yet that makes me feel any different, that anything's changing. I don't see how anything's gotten better. I don't see the cases lessening. I don't see the number of deaths going down, and I don't see us closer to a answer. And I don't think anything comes back. I don't think we get back until we, see, get, until we get some assurances, and I don't know where those assurances are coming from. All I heard today was the doctors say, hey, just make sure you keep doing what you're doing because if we back off even a little, we'll pay for it. That's what I heard them say today. But... Clearly, people were more optimistic today than they have been. Way more optimistic. I just don't share that optimism because I don't see anything. I'd love to be optimistic. I'd like, give me a reason to be optimistic, and I will be. I haven't seen one. Back after this. You know, it's funny. I was just watching during the break, and the president talks every time, every night at this time. And he was asked, um, Americans want to see the country reopened. What's the plan for that, and when do you think that could happen? And he's like, well, you know, I want to see that more than anybody. Uh, we'll have to wait for the curve and this and that, and then he goes off. And the, That's the issue right there. 
there is no plan that says we need to do this, we need to do that, we need to do this, and here's what has to happen, and then we can go back to our lives. That is the problem. The government, the United States, the administration, the president, the leadership have got to come up and give us a plan, even if it's one that doesn't start for two or three weeks. Tell us what the plan is. The problem is they don't have a plan. There is no plan. There is no plan because they're waiting to see what happens. If that thing surges back up, if they have more cases again, first of all, the cases haven't gone down that much. Secondly, they haven't gone down at all in our, in our neck of the woods. They haven't gone down in Long Island. Yesterday, there were more deaths in New York than any other time. By far, it wasn't even close. Over 700 deaths. Another 200 in New Jersey. So we lost 1,000 people in the metropolitan area. If you count, I, I don't know what the, the Connecticut number is, but I'll throw a couple, you know, probably 25 or 50 from Connecticut, and that comes to almost 1,000 in the metropolitan area. Tri-state area, three, you know, you're talking about 1,000 people. So I don't, until somebody can give us a plan and tell us how this happens, that's why there's just no there that it, one day runs into the next. The president gets into this whole thing again. Well, I open the country up. We know that he didn't do a great job listening, and he made some comments early that were unfortunate about it being a hoax and everything else. He did stop the flights from China, but he didn't stop all of them because there were still 430,000 people who came in after that on flights to, New York, to, to, the, to the United States. We all know that. And so there were still extensive flights in. And forget all that. Forget who did what a month ago. Forget, let's get past that. Let's just say that's over with. Will it come up again during the campaign? Of course it's going to come up. Biden's going to use it against Trump. Trump would use it against his candidate. I mean, come on, his opponent. We all know that. So we all know that's politics. That's going to happen. That's not what we care about right now. Let that happen after Labor Day. Right now we want to know how do we reopen the country and how are we safe. And we can't get any answers. And until we get answers there, we're nowhere. And that's what we look forward to. That's what I try to hear every night. Somebody give me an answer on that. Doctors don't give you any answers. We're doing better. We're starting to, to flatten the curve. Great. We had 700 and somewhat people die in New York last night. We'll see what tomorrow's number is. Cuomo called today's number unbelievably terrible. Then... Then the president talks about a drug, and then everybody, after he gets off, the newscasters come on with other doctors, and the doctors clobber him on how irresponsible it is to mention these drugs. How is this possible? How is this good for us? As soon as he mentions, well, this drug, he can't get Foschi to, to say the same thing about the drug, so he tells him say nothing, and then as soon as it's over, they'll put up a doctor, and they'll say to the doctor, doctor, and they'll say, that's the most irresponsible thing I've ever heard anybody say. He should stay out of that stuff. So 
the public's hearing that right after the president makes the statement, and we're nowhere. So that's the problem. Every day we wait to hear a plan. We wait to hear something that's positive, and we're not getting there. And that's why I don't have anything, any positive thoughts because I don't know how anything's going to reopen. Do I think we have to reopen? Yes. I think obviously our economy is being destroyed by the day. I have friends who have businesses. They've carried their employees as far as they can carry them. They're a business they've had for 20 and 30 years that they're worried they're ever going to get started again. A lot of these businesses aren't going to get started again. But we don't get any answers. We get a bunch of, well, you know, I'll listen to my health experts and they'll tell me. And that, you know what they'll tell you? We'll watch the curve. We'll see where it is. And we'll let you know. That thing ratchets up and we're back to where we are. Plus, tell me this. When we reopen, how do, how do we live? We can't go within six feet of anybody. We can't have two people in the same room. How are we going to do that and carry on our lives? How does any of that work? So that's why it's very difficult to sit here, listen to this, and have any good feeling about any of it. You know, it's almost like we're looking for a miracle. It's almost like everyone wakes up in the morning hoping that there's some miracle answer. Because right now, it looks like we are in the same place we were when this started and that we'll be in the same place a week from now or two weeks from now. And, you know, we're talking about how much better it's getting. Hey, we lost almost 1,000 people last night. How much better is it? And right now, can anybody give you a date as to when you can step outside your house and get back to work? No. So if they can't do that, how, it, how, did it, how has it gotten any better? I don't see where it has. Tomorrow would have been the Masters. Would have been round one of the Masters. That's the bottom line. So with that in mind, what I would tell you is get out there and, and watch it. Jack Nicholas won the Masters when he was fat. He won it when he was skinny. He won it with a crew cut. He won it with a stylish look. He won it against Palmer and Player and Weisskopf and Miller. But when he arrived in Augusta in 1986, no one gave him a chance. Somebody even referred to him as being the olden bear, not the golden bear. He was 46, past his prime. And a lot of people thought not capable of competing in the majors. Nothing he did in the first two rounds suggested otherwise, as he posted scores of 74 and 71. A 69 in the third round raised a few eyebrows, but he was still four shots behind Greg Norman and tied for ninth as he entered the final day. For eight holes Sunday, Nicholas was treading water. He made one birdie, one bogey, was well back, and then everything clicked. He rolled in a tricky downhiller for birdie on the ninth. Then he made a sweeping putt on the tenth. When he rolled another birdie from long range on the 11th, his gallery started to swell. The bear was coming out of hibernation. Then Nicholas missed the green at the dangerous 12th and made bogey. And with Seve Biostas playing solid golf behind him, it looked like 
That was it. That was his charge. But he fought back with a two-putt birdie at number 13 and then made par at 14. Standing in the fairway at the 15th, he asked out loud if an eagle three would do any good. His caddy, his son, Jackie, said, let's see it. Nicholas Ironshot came to rest 12 feet from the pin, and he sank the eagle putt to get him in position. His iron shot on 16 never left the flag, producing a birdie, and then he rolled in another lengthy putt for birdie at 17. After securing par at 18th, Nicholas had completed a back nine of 30 and a round of 65. He was the clubhouse leader. Ballesteros had fallen back, and only Norman and Kite could catch him. Kite missed a short birdie putt on the 18th. Norman came to the home hole, needing only a par to force a sudden-death playoff, but his four-iron sailed wide right into the gallery, and he could not get up and down to force a playoff. Suddenly, at age 46, Jack Nicklaus, the Golden Bear, had pulled off his greatest master's triumph. It was sweet vindication for the King of Golf, who had heard so often... When was he going to retire? I'm not going to quit, guys, he said. Maybe I should. Maybe I should say goodbye. Maybe that would be the smart thing to do. But I'm not that smart. That tournament, Nicholas's 30 on the back nine at Augusta, is one of the great performances in the history of American sport. He was an old 46 too old to win the Masters, playing against the likes of Norman and uh, Ballesteros and uh, Price and Watson, Jay Haas, Payne Stewart, Bob Tway, guys like that who were all there, Tom Kite. But he put on one of the great, great golf displays of all time, one of the great putting displays of all time. So... There's no Masters tomorrow, there's no Masters Friday, there's no Masters Saturday, there's no back nine on Sunday. So do yourself a favor. Find the 86 Masters, sit back, and enjoy. Because it's one of the great, great performances, and one of the great, not only the as great a nine holes as has ever been played in golf, but just one of the great performances by a man who was as big a winner in American sport as anybody who has ever lived. So, it won't make up for this year's Masters, but you know what? It's worth watching. Casamigos Tequila sponsors the program each and every night, as it does. Uh, Brought to you by those who drink it, so we thank them for their patronage. Uh, Stay safe this evening. We'll see you tomorrow. And hopefully, who knows? One of these days, somebody will have some news for us that uh, actually works. We'll see you then.